Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Thank you, Greg, and those that serve with you in leading us in worship. What a tremendous opportunity that we have as a church um, to worship. And we all have an opportunity to worship in a way um, that most, most ministers to us. Um, and what a, what a privilege it is. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I invite for you to join me in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and hopefully when you came in, you got one of these bulletins on the back of that. There'll be some notes if you want to follow along as we study through God's Word this morning. Mark chapter 6, we have been walking through the gospel according to Mark on Sunday mornings, and so this morning in Mark chapter 6, we're just picking up where we left off last Sunday as we finished Mark chapter 5. So uh, Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to just continue on in our study of God's Word, and if you'll follow along in your copy as I read aloud out of mine, I want to just start with these first verses in Mark chapter 6. So Mark records the gospel, he says he, this is talking about Jesus Christ, He went away from there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph? Joseph and Judas and Simon, and and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. Before coming to this church, I served for about eight years at a church in southwestern Oklahoma. And during my time serving there, every single Sunday morning was similar routine. Uh, We would have the bulletins just like this, and we would have them printed off, and they would be in a format just like this. And every Sunday morning, about 9 o'clock in the morning, myself and uh, one of my dear friends and co-laborers down there by the name of J.D., um, we would both gather up there in the church office about 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and we would take these bulletins, and we would fold every single one of them by hand. And as we're folding these bulletins by hand, we'd be talking about our week and talking about marriage and talking about kids and talking about the Lord's doing in our lives. But we would, every single Sunday morning, him and I would be in there. If you shut up, him and I would be in there folding bulletins by hand. Shortly after I arrived here, I was up in the church office, and I think it was Mark. I don't hold me to this, but I think it was Mark, and he had the bulletins. 
And he had this contraption that is still, by the grace of God, up there in the church office. And he had this contraption, and he stuck the big old stack of bulletins in the contraption as you're looking at it, sitting there on the tray is on the left. He put them in there, and he turned a knob, and all of a sudden, this to the slot and got folded up and came out the other end ready to be distributed. Now, I realize for you, you're going, so? Understand, for almost eight years, I folded these things by hand every single week. And then in a matter of a few seconds, he had stuck one in. It was folded mechanically and came out the other end. And I said, do that again. And he looked at me. He's like, what? I said, do it again. And he, and he turned the knob and all of a sudden, and out it came. And I'm going, this is witchcraft or heavenly divine intervention. I don't know which. And he said, oh, if you think that's something, watch this. And as he turned the knob and he made it go faster and faster, all of a sudden this machine started going, choo, 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 and, and all of a sudden at the end, all these bullets started folding out like luggage off conveyor belt. And I am sitting there going. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't know what the big deal is. Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. The big deal is that he was familiar with that machine and how it worked, and he had used it a lot of times in the past. I was not, and so it was brand new for me. And so what was familiar to him, he took for granted, but what wasn't familiar to me was something new that I was seeing for the very first time. Sometimes we can become so familiar with the things of God and Jesus, that we miss the awe of just who he is. So Mark has, in the past chapter and a half, Mark has been showing us different aspects of who Jesus Christ is. If you think back several weeks ago in, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 through verse 41, he talks about the, the uh, sovereignty of Christ as a creator. And you have the, the disciples there, and, and they're in the boat, and the storm comes along, and Jesus gets up and says, peace be still. And, and starting in Mark chapter 5, he sees where we have the authority over the demonic, the, the demonic and has the demoniac comes and and, and, and Christ cast out that demon oppression from him. And then you, then you continue on in Mark chapter 5, and we see where he has power over the physical. And you have the woman that comes up that has been plagued by the discharge of blood for 12 years, and she's healed. And, and Mark says, not only is Jesus the guy that has sovereignty over creation, not only does he have the authority over the demonic, he has power over the physical. And then last week, talking about Jairus' daughter, we were talking about how he has hope even over death. And so Mark is showing us all these different pictures of who Jesus Christ is, and then you get to here to chapter 6, and you would think he would go home to a hero's welcome. you think he would go home, and everybody would be like, this is the guy, and they've seen all that he's done, and they've known all he's done, and then Mark says, notice how they respond to the familiar. This morning, I want to walk us through these six verses, if you will give me some time, and I just want us to look at ways that just like they did, as we see here in the text that I've already read into your hearing, they, they in some ways forfeited the faith. They, they forfeited the opportunity to believe in who Christ was. And I want to make some, uh, some explanation and then I want to make some application to where many times we can be in our daily lives where we can become so familiar that we lose the awe. We lose the beauty and we lose the excitement. 
of just who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So you go back up there in verse 1. Mark sets the stage for us. And he tells us how Jesus went away. He, he went away from Jairus and the daughter. He went away from the woman with the discharge. And, and now he comes to his hometown. That is verse 1. He comes to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And so then in verse 2, he says, okay, and now this is what Jesus did. On that very next Sabbath, he went in the synagogue and he began to teach. What Mark is wanting to show us there, I believe, is that he says, now when you think about this, when you think about the ministry of Jesus and what Jesus is doing, understand that what Jesus started with was an opportunity. He gave them, as I put in your notes, he gave them an opportunity. He comes in, and the first thing that Mark wants to show us is the opportunity that Jesus gave them. He comes there in verse 2, and he says he began to teach in the synagogue. And as he was teaching, it says there in verse 2 that they, those that heard him were astonished, and they asked three particular questions. Where is this person from? What is this person saying and what is this person doing? And if you think back to where we've been so far in the Gospel of Mark, Mark answers this question from us. The question is, is where is this guy from? He's from God. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah says that God is going to send us a Savior. So as Jesus is coming on the scene, we understand that Mark is saying, this is not Jesus, the son of Mary. This is not Jesus the adopted son of Joseph, this is Jesus, the son of God. And so when he comes and the people are asking the question, you see there in verse 2, they're asking the question, where did this man get these things? Where is this wisdom given to him? Why? Because as Jesus is in the synagogue, he is preaching, he is teaching, he is explaining the word of God, applying the word of God, and showing the word of God, and they understand as they are sitting there, they're going, what we are hearing is somebody from God speaking the truth and giving evidence about who he is. So Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and he starts off by giving them an opportunity I want to give you an opportunity to know who I am. I want to give you an opportunity to know who has sent me. I want to give you an opportunity to know what this person that has sent me wants you to know about who I am. He is giving them opportunity to respond. He's giving them an opportunity to de demonstrate and to practice faith. He was giving them an opportunity to listen to what God is saying through him and to believe by faith. He was giving them this chance. In fact, you think, you think to yourself, well, you know what? They, uh, they, they probably hadn't seen everything he had done. When you go back to verse two, they had a really good understanding. Where does he get these things? Where has he got this wisdom? And how can he do such mighty works by his hands? In other words, what Jesus was doing was he was living who he said he was. I wonder how many people God puts you and I in contact with so that they may have an opportunity to see the difference that God makes in the life of a believer. And how many of us forfeit that opportunity because we're not living who we say we are. And I wonder how many times that these opportunities are put in front of us and yet we do not pursue after them because you and I just assume that it doesn't matter how we live. No, these people here in verse 2, there was no doubt about how Jesus was living. They couldn't go back and say, well, you know what, Jesus, we saw you at the bar. Or, you know, Jesus, we saw you at the casino. Or, you know, Jesus, we saw you and you were here. And we saw you post this. And we saw you put this on social media. And, Jesus, we have all of this dirt against you, all of these skeletons against you. They have none of that. They're just asking the question if you're 
keeping up with our Bible reading as we've been walking through this year's Bible reading. You, you've been in Mark chapter 13, and in Mark chapter 13, Jesus tells him, this is later on in the story, past Mark chapter 6, but later on in the story, Jesus is going to tell him that, hey, there's a time coming. There's a time coming when these opportunities will stop. The moment will come, and judgment will follow. But here in Mark chapter 6, they're getting an opportunity. They're having an opportunity. And my belief is that by you being here this morning, you and I both are being given an opportunity to ask ourselves the question, where is our faith grounded? Where is our belief based? So here in the text, Mark says, understand when it comes to what Christ later does, he starts by giving them an opportunity. But then Mark then shifts the scene of the story and then talks about their hesitation. So he gives them the opportunity. That's verse 2. Christ gives them the opportunity. But then you see the people's hesitation in verse 3. So they ask the three questions in verse 2. And they're like, what, what, what is going on? But then in verse 3, the questions turn from spiritual to personal or physical. And they ask the question, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? And they talk about his brothers. And they talk about his sisters. And it says at the very end of verse 3 that they took offense at him. That idea of taking offense is they were indignant. They were scoffing. They were in disbelief. They're looking and saying, no way, Jose, this can't be possible. Why? Was it because that Christ had said something that contradicted the word of God? Was it because he had done something that forfeited or compromised his calling from God? Was it had been that he had done something or said something that distracted away from God? No, if you look there in verse 3, their objection was who he was physically, not who he was spiritually. And I put that in your notes that sometimes we let the physical dictate the spiritual. Sometimes you start looking around us and going, well, that's physically not possible. Oh, that person can't be changed. That person cannot change. That person will not change. We start placing all kinds of physical limitations upon the spiritual imagination of God. And so they're sitting there in verse 3, and they're looking at Jesus and going, hey, we know this guy. I went to grade school with him. Yeah, and you know what? I babysat him when he was a child. And you know what? And you know what? I know who he is. I know his brothers. I know his sisters. I know his cousins. I know his mama. I know all of us. Then there is no way. There was a hesitation that came. Not because they had a chapter and verse, but because they were letting the physical dictate the spiritual. We need to be careful. We are called to be wise and discerning in the word of God. But sometimes that wisdom and discernment carries over to what would be criticism from arrogance. And we start looking for reasons to discredit. Not disprove. We start looking for reasons to discredit. And we must be careful because these people here in verse 3, their objection was, their hesitation was not that he was doing anything contrary to God's word, not that he was doing anything contrary to the will and the works and the pleasure of God. It's because they were too familiar with him. And instead of becoming submissive, I put in your notes, they became defensive instead of submissive. And the danger is you and I become so familiar with things that then when those things challenge us, instead of submitting, we defend. 
There's a social commentator guy by the name of Rod Dreher, and he wrote an article here a couple of months ago about the danger of the yeah buttery. And the point of the article was that so many times we'll be faced with challenges, circumstances, decisions, and we'll do the yeah buts. The yeah buts. Well, I know they said this, but yeah but. You know, we went through this several years ago when it came to the whole COVID and the whole mask and all that stuff. And you had so many people on different sides of the aisles and different opinions, and they were listening to different news sources, and they were listening to different voices, and you would always have the the yeah buts. And he said, be careful, especially when it comes to the things of God, that you can get around people that will say, well, I know God's word says that, yeah, but I believe, I think, I feel, or do whatever. He says, be careful of that yeah buttery. We face the same challenges today. God's word says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you and I go, yeah, but. (laughs) Repent of your sin and confess to God. Yeah, 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 but. Listen to the Lord and follow his will. Yeah, yeah, but. And there's this this hesitation. And so Mark points that in verse 3. And Mark says, no, listen, you have the opportunity that Christ came and he presented. And then you have the hesitation of the people. And the hesitation was not, well, but he is not who he said he is. Or he cannot do what he has done. The question is, well, I don't think that I can believe him. Understand, this is not a question of what is right and what is good. The question is, but So many times we need to watch out because those hesitations will come. We become familiar with something. We become aware with something. We, we, we get used to something. And next thing you know, that, that hesitation comes. And so there in verse 4, Mark says, notice you have the opportunity. Then you have the hesitation from the people. And then notice he goes in verse 4 and he says, but don't miss the warning that then Christ gives them. He says in verse 4, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't deny who he is. He identifies, I am a prophet. And there in the text, he is using that to say, I am somebody, a messenger sent by God, a voice sent by God. I am here speaking on, upon and for the kingdom of God. He doesn't deny who he is. He doesn't try to qualify who he is. He just simply says, the most important thing about me is that I came from God and I'm speaking on behalf of God. So he doesn't deny who he is, but he says, understand that it doesn't matter who I am, there will still be skeptics, and there will still be doubters, and then there will still be the naysayers, and there will still be those who misunderstand who I am. And I'm reading my notes out of order So now we get to the let the physical dictate the spiritual. Notice he doesn't tell them, well, yeah, I'm the same guy that you saw in grade school. Yeah, I'm the same guy that you learned to ride bikes with. Yeah, I'm the same guy that we went, we played Candyland together. He he doesn't try to qualify that. He just says, this is who I am. And if you can't get past that familiarity and not see the spiritual side of me, then you're going to miss who I am. And so there's this, there's this warning that he gives there in verse 4. If you have a Bible that's a red letter edition, it, it will be there in the red. Jesus is speaking and he says, do you understand that this person, this prophet, this person sent by God, there will be dangers, there will be questions, there will be skepticism, there will be all kinds of yeah buttery when it comes to especially those that he grew up with, his relatives, all of those, even of his own household. So he just says, 
be careful. Be careful of knowing your Bible so well that you forget to be amazed by your Bible. Sometimes we can get so enamored with the trees that we miss the forest. And sometimes we can look at this Bible and say, oh, I got to read my Bible today. The preacher said, I got to read my Bible today. No, you get to read your Bible today. Because there have been people that have come before you that died so that you might have a Bible written in a language that you can understand and comprehend. And God gave us a language so that we could communicate, yes, but also that we could understand his revealed to word to us. And as you and I get in here and we read the Bible, even if you want to read it aloud, you can hear God's voice speaking to you. We have the opportunity to read the Bible. We have the privilege to read the Bible. And yet so many times the familiarity of God's word leads to apathy and lethargy. And then we start making explanations. We start making excuses. And here in the text in verse 4, they had an explanation to who he was. And their explanation became the justification. Sometimes when you hear people talk about it, how they, they'll think and they'll analyze and they talk about the paralysis of analysis. And they'll spend so much time trying to argue. They'll spend so much time trying to think. They'll spend so much time trying to weigh the different pros and cons and back and forth and back and forth that they never take action. And Jesus gives them a warning. He gives them a warning here in verse 4. And he says, do understand I'm not denying who I am and I'm not denying where I came from, but do you understand that if you get fixated on the physical and you miss the spiritual, you'll miss the whole point. And sometimes we think it's either A or B. You go to the restaurant, you sit down and they ask you what you want to drink. I want iced tea. And they'll ask me whether do I want it sweetened or unsweetened. I, 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 the both are just fine. The, the both, will both, both of them will refresh me. But you have a choice. It's either A or B. And you go, well, what does it matter? Both of them, um, one person prefers this, one per person prefers that. That's right. It's either A or B. You sit down. I want something to drink. You want Coke or Pepsi. It's either or. And both of them have their own valid purposes, and everybody has their own preferences. Sometimes we think about that when it comes to Christianity. It can be either or. Either he is the Lord or he's not the Lord. It's either or. I can have them both ways, and it really doesn't matter. No. You don't get the option of saying it's either or, both A and B. It doesn't matter whether, it doesn't matter what you think. What the Bible says is either he is the Lord or you are the Lord. And so here in verse 4, he's warning them and he's saying, if you start to go down this path where I don't get honor and I don't get faith and I don't get belief and I don't get submission and I don't get obedience and I don't get your heart and your life, then you're not saying it's either or. You're saying that Jesus is no longer Lord and that you are Lord of your life and now you dictate what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what you will and will not do, what you choose to believe or not believe, how you feel or how you don't feel, and all those things. It's not either or. It's one or the other. Some of the times when churches do evangelism, one of the pitfalls is, is that we never call the question. 
And with any time you are leading people to a point of decision, you're going to have to call the question. This is what God said about who you are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is what it talks about the sin. The sin is the penalty and it leads to death and eternal separation from God. But then we get to the good news that God, even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us and God has sent his son to die for us. And then we say, okay, so because you're a sinner and because what Christ has done, now the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, if you believe and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. But if we just stop short and say, you're a sinner, Christ died for you, we never ask them to confess to their sins and repent, then there's never that moment they had to take a step of faith. Jesus is giving them a warning here in the text, and he's saying, you think that you can have it both and. You're trying to straddle that fence. Do you understand that either I am the Lord or you are the Lord? And every single morning, you and I wake up, we are answering that question. Am I going to be Lord today? Or is he going to be Lord today? We answer that question. We ask that question. And every time you and I turn on the television, every time you and I turn on the radio, anytime you and I sit down to watch a movie, anytime we're facing that, there is that constant question. Are you in charge or is God in charge? Are you in charge or is God in charge? Are you in charge or is God in charge? And we're constantly being bombarded with saying, oh, we'll just feel, oh, just believe, oh, just think, oh, just explain, oh, just justify, oh, just stop. Either he's God or you're God. So Jesus gives him the warning in verse 4, and he says, Understand, this is the natural response, but not the spiritual response. So notice down in verse 5, Mark shows us then the result. Christ comes in in verse 2, gives them the opportunity. Verse 3, we see their hesitation. Verse 4, he gives them the warning, and then verse 5 is the result. Mark says, and he could do no mighty works there except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. You think, well, why in the world, if he's Jesus Christ, why could he not have healed whoever he wanted to heal? Well, he could have healed whoever he wanted to heal. But if you think back to where we've been so far in the Gospel of Mark, or you think about the other Gospels, when you see a miraculous work, it's because faith had been demonstrated to that point, or there was the knowledge that faith would be demonstrated after that point. You think back to just previous in chapter 5. And when Jairus came up, he believed that God, Jesus Christ, could heal his daughter. And that's when the healing happened. When the woman with the discharge of blood came up and touched the garment, it's because she believed that he could heal her. But now you have Jesus, and he's in his hometown, and no one believes. No one is accepting who he is except for a few of the sick people, it says there in verse I want you tonight to remember and I want you to understand this morning that unbelief is contagious. When you start listening to all the critics and you start listening to all the yeah butteries and you start listening to all the people that come up with all the reasons why this can't be true, be careful. You want to have a belief that birds aren't real? There's a book out there that will confirm your hypothesis. You want to believe that there is a giant conspiracy theory on the political stage and all of these things are set up? There's somebody that is writing and there's some book out there that will agree with you. 
You want to believe that caterpillars are secret robots sent by the Chinese to spy out all of our weaknesses in our homes. I am sure there's a blog post or a book that has been written out there that will confirm what you want to believe. See, we're living in a day and age that whatever you want to be true or whatever you want to believe with just a few clicks on a keyboard, you can find someone that will say you are right. And then you and I walk around going, hey, we knew we were right because some random person said so on the internet. And we'll even do that about God's word. We will find ourselves listening to more what people say about God's word than what God's word says about God's word. And you see back in the 1500s they had this issue going on in the Catholic church. And the problem in the 1500s was the Bible was primarily written in Latin. The only people that understood Latin was the priest. And so the priest would have the Bible and he would read the Bible and he would tell the people what the Bible said and what the Bible meant and then how to apply the Bible. And so it was the priest that had the power and the authority to then manipulate, twist, malign, color scripture to say whatever that person wanted to say. And then taking it another step farther than that, you had in these presbytery churches where then they would come down and you would have the higher orders would come down and say, well, this Sunday you're going to preach on this and this Sunday you're going to preach on that. And all these things would dictate what the priest would talk about and how the priest would talk about it. And so therefore, as you went higher up the lane, the, the lane, the, the line of the hierarchy, then they could begin to control what people knew and what people didn't know. That's why in the middle of the 1500s when the Reformation broke out and you had the Gutenberg Press and you had the Bible that got translated first into German and then into English and now the Bible just took storm and then you end up having churches where they had their Bible and they would actually physically chain, chain it down to the pulpit because they didn't want people taking it to be able to read in their own language because they understood that when people understood what the Bible would say, they would understand that what they'd been hearing for hundreds and hundreds of years was not completely true. And you fast forward to 2024 and you say, Spence, are you worried that somebody may read something in the Bible and it might contradict to what you say? I hope if they read the Bible and it contradicts what I might say, I hope they will tell me. Because the greatest authority in this room, apart from the Holy Spirit, is God's holy word. And what do I want more for you than anything more for than you to just sit down here for 30 minutes and, 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 and listen to me go on and on and on and on? I want you to know what God's word says. Because it doesn't matter what I think or what you think. If you and I do not know what God's word says, then how will we defend against those false teachers and those wolves in sheep clothing that are constantly trying to malign and misrepresent and misuse God's word? And this unbelief is contagious, and sometimes it can be outright heresy. Sometimes it can be little things. Sometimes it can be just moving some words here and there. And, and, and Mark says there in verse 5, he could do no mighty works except that he laid his hand on a few sick people. So, so he says this unbelief, it, it was contagious. People go, well, he didn't believe him, he didn't believe him, I won't believe him. People go to seed on that. But then notice that was one result. But the second result in verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. What a sad sentence. 
And he went, among, he went about among their villages teaching. Jesus is there in the village. He's there in the town. God in the flesh. The man sent by God to not only institute this new covenant, this new kingdom. He was there. He could heal people. He could restore the blind. He could heal the infirmed. He could raise people from the dead. And yet because they did not believe in him, what happened? It says, and he went about among the villages teaching. In other words, I put in your notes, when the result of this kind of lack of faith, not only is it contagious, unbelief is contagious, but then truth leaves to Revelation chapter 2 through verse 3. There's seven churches that John writes to from the island of Patmos. There's seven different churches and more than just one or two churches, there is a negative report about the church. And in that negative report, John is writing under inspiration of being told what Christ told him what to write. He says, if you do not repent, your candlestick will be removed. In other words, you might still have the sign out front, but you'll stop being a church inside. And there's a lot of places today that have the sign out front. The truth has left the building. And what does it say there in verse 6? It says there in verse 6 that he went about among the villages. What does that mean? It means that Jesus left. Jesus says, you're not going to accept me here. You're not going to listen to me here. You're not going to give me a, 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 a following here. I am going to leave. And as these people are sitting there, the one thing they've been hoping for is for the Messiah. The one thing they've been hoping for is the Christ. They've been hoping for something to save them from their sins and restore their separated relationship between them and God. He shows up and they reject him. And he leaves. And what you see here in the passage is this authority is exchanged. The authority was there preaching in the synagogues and then he was rejected. And so the people said, no, we don't want your authority. We want our authority. And the standard by which they were going to live their life is no longer going to be based upon the standard of Jesus Christ. It's going to be based upon the standard of what they thought was right and wrong. And make no doubt about it, whenever you deny Jesus Christ, you're not denying belief altogether. You're just denying belief in Jesus Christ. You're going to believe in something else. It's not a matter of whether you will worship. The question is, what will you worship? It's not a matter of whether we will follow. The question is, is what will we follow? See, all these things the world tries to set up there and say, well, don't believe in Jesus. Oh, all these all these questions, all these criticisms, all these contradictions. You can't believe in Jesus. The problem is, is if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to believe in something or someone. Well, they don't tell you that. They say, well, no, just don't believe in Jesus. Well, in order not to believe in Jesus, you got to believe in the person saying don't believe in Jesus. We're going to worship something. We're going to follow something. We're going to believe something. So Mark here in this passage says... They had an opportunity, but they hesitated. Jesus Christ warned them, but they wouldn't turn. So the result was he left. How do we take a passage like this and think about this church today and applying this word to our lives in this season of ministry? 
You see there at the bottom of your notes, we've been talking about these core values, build families, teach the Bible, be the church. So, so how do we take a passage like that and say, well, this is how then we, that this informs what we do as a church. Just a few thoughts and we're done. When, thinks about, when we think about how do we use a text like this to build families, we need to understand that last names do not save us. Last names do not save us. You see, they were, they were looking at Jesus and they were more concerned about his identity in his humanity than his identity by faith or through faith. They were more concerned about, we know who this Jesus guy is because we know his brothers and his mama and his sisters. We know his trade. We know his occupation, all of these things. They're like, oh, that can't be true because we know who he is. And sometimes in our humanity and sometimes in our families, we start to think that your identity is more based upon your humanity than your identity through your faith in Jesus Christ. We start building families and saying, it doesn't matter about your mom. It doesn't matter about your brothers. It doesn't matter about your sisters. It doesn't matter about your hometown. It doesn't matter about your family. It doesn't matter about your cousins. It doesn't matter about your aunts. It doesn't matter about your uncles. It doesn't matter about your grandparents. It doesn't matter about your second or third, your fourth, your fifth cousins. It doesn't matter about those people. When you stand before God one day, they're not going to ask you, what was your last name? They're going to ask you, does God know you? And sometimes we start basing the standard and the success of our families on a ball field or in a classroom, not on their knees in prayer. And we need to understand that as we're teaching families, it's not a matter of your humanity, it's a matter of your spirituality. And so, even right here in this text, it didn't matter what Jesus' last name was, it's that God had sent him. We have an opportunity to tell people the familiarity can be both good and bad. And sometimes we can miss the beauty because of the familiar. And then how do we think about teaching the Bible? Well, people are going to come in and they're going to ask questions. Well, how could Jesus really be God's son? He was, he was born of a woman. That's our opportunity to come in and to tell them and remind them that being born was the only way. The only way that Jesus Christ could completely and fully pay the penalty for my sin was he had to be born in the flesh. He had to be born as a baby. He had to be born as a human, and he had to live that entire sinless life so that he could be that perfect sacrifice for my sin. Being born was the only way that he could die for me. Does that make me now question his deity? Does that make me now question his efficacy, his, his effectiveness for my sin? Does that make me question that? No! Why? Because there's a lot of other things in this world that I take on faith that are a whole lot less reliable than that Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. So what do we do? We teach the Bible. We tell people this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus was. Does that mean that Jesus had an earthly mother? Yes. Does that mean that he had earthly brothers and sisters? Yes. Does that mean that it takes away from his deity? No. Why? Because the Bible says... It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I feel. It matters what the Bible says. And I'm going to keep, keep 
impressing this to us as a church, as long as I have an opportunity to speak into your ears, it doesn't matter about how I feel, what I think, or what I believe. It only matters what does the Bible say, which is why it is so massively important that we know what God's word says. Because there will be people, just like here in Mark chapter 6, that they start to question the validity. They start to question the application. They start to question the explanation. They start to question. And we can come back to God's word and we can say, yes, Jesus is who he said he is because he is the only way. And then here's the last one. We think about, well, then how does that affect us being as a church? The reality is, is we, we follow what we believe. If you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then you're going to follow Jesus. If you believe your way to heaven is through your bank account or through your retirement or through your good works or through your education, then you're going to follow those things. We're going to follow what we believe. And as a church, so many times the world is looking at us going, are they going to follow the way of the world? Are they going to follow the way of the Bible? You see, the people outside the church, they're not ignorant of what the Bible says. They understand exactly what the Bible says. And they're looking at this culture, and they're looking at this world, and they're looking at the culture in the world saying, hey, church, compromise. Hey, church, give in. Hey, church, just get along. And they're wondering, say, if they really believe the Bible is true, then are they really going to do what the Bible says? And it's a setup. It's not a compromise. a setup. It's not a little bit of wiggle room. It's a setup. And they're setting us up so that they can look at us and say, see, we knew that you didn't do what you said you believed. It's a disarming technique. And it's a way for you and I to concede and to forfeit the ground. The people here in Mark chapter 6 They had two options. Either they could rejoice in the fact that God had sent Jesus even to their town to save them. Or they could rely upon the physical concept of, well, I already know who this guy is and I already know where he came from. And because of the familiarity, they missed the picture of Jesus Christ. And they had two choices. Either they could worship him as Lord or they could reject him as Jesus, the carpenter. So you and I have an option this morning. There's a thousand reasons that you could think of why you shouldn't follow Jesus. There's a thousand reasons that you can come up with objections. Well, I don't agree with this, and I don't like this, and, and I don't know why it has to be like that. And you know what? If following Jesus was just easier, I'd do it. You and I can come up with excuse after excuse after excuse. But the question is, who's going to be the Lord of your life? Are you going to walk out of here this morning, and you're the Lord of your life? You determine what is right. You determine what is wrong. You determine what is true. Or you determine what is false. Or you're going to walk out of here this morning, and you're going to go, you know what? I don't have to agree with it. And I don't even have to like it. But because God's word says it, that's what I am going to do. Oh, there's lots of things in the Word of God that if I had my little spiritual eraser, I would love to take some of these things out of here. Like, Father, do not anger your children. Why? After all the things they do to me, why should I not be able to anger my children? I would love to just mark that out of there. Love your wife unconditionally. Oh, I would love to just go ahead and take that and just wipe that out of there. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. No, no, no. God doesn't know my neighbors. I would love to do that. But if he's the Lord, then he's the Lord of everything. So you're going to walk out of here this morning. And you're going to walk out of here committed and devoted for him being the Lord of your life. Or you're going to walk out of here this morning missing an opportunity because you were able to justify away your disobedience. How are you going to walk out of here today? You bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you if you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.